0: So because it's Christmas season and Christmas season centers around a baby, I was thinking of back to when my own children were small babies and how I could just hold them and for, for like a really long time, I could just sort of like stare into their face, you know, like observing their features, looking at their eyes and nose and wondering what they would be like, wondering what sort of personality they would grow into. And so I imagine Mary and Joseph and all the people who came to visit the newborn Jesus doing that very same thing, beholding this baby, Emmanuel, God with us, Yahweh himself born among humankind, beholding and looking at, gazing upon this little newborn baby. And there's a single word in the passage we just read together this morning that encapsulates this idea, and it's in John chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, this really magnificent and important verse in all of scripture. John chapter 1, verse 14 says this, the word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen, we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So this word seen, we have seen his glory. It could be translated, and it is translated in other English versions of the Bible, observed or beheld or gazed upon. We have gazed upon his glory. It's not just like seeing something. It's really seeing something in a way that changes you. And I imagine that Joseph and Mary and all the other people, the shepherds, the kings who came to see Jesus, I imagined as they gazed upon this baby that, that they were changed. Gazed upon seeing something in a way that changes you, just like millions and millions and millions of people all around the world have been changed as they've beheld this child, Jesus. One of my favorite Christmas hymns is, uh, it was originally written in Latin, but you'll be familiar with it probably. It's called, O Come All Ye Faithful. Uh, fortunately, we sing the English version of it, O Come All Ye Faithful. And this is, this is one line from that hymn that I really, really love. <clears throat> I won't sing it, especially because I seem to be losing my voice with this perpetual cold. Um, but this line goes like this. Come and behold him. Come and behold him. Born the king of angels, O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. And so quite simply, that's what I want us to do this morning, to gaze upon, to come and behold him, to see Jesus, Christ the Lord. O come, let us adore him, come and behold him. I preached several weeks ago on the first Sunday of Advent, and on that Sunday I had this like passion in my bones that we would not miss out on Jesus in the busyness of the Advent and Christmas season. And that's still my passion for you, but that's also my passion for me that we would not miss out on Jesus in the busyness how exhausting this season can sometimes be. So this this morning, I just want to simply look at this passage of scripture that we just read together and meditate on six different aspects or characteristics or attributes of Jesus that we see here. Come and behold him. Let's quite simply together behold Christ the Lord, this baby, the Lord Christ and so before we launch into this, I want to start with two encouragements or challenges for you. The first is that I want you to be really open. I invite you to have, have an open posture this morning. I know for some of you, for many of you, because we're in Memphis, we're in the Bible Belt, these will be things that you've heard a lot of times before. These, these might even be things that like stir up things inside of you. And so, whether that's you or whether these are sort of new realities to ponder, I invite you to be open to whatever it is that the Spirit might want to speak to your heart this morning. And then, secondly, I want you to be aware. To be aware. Like if there are things stirred up inside of you as you're open to whatever the Spirit might do, simply be aware. Simply be aware of what's happening. You know, our first practice as a church. We talk about these eight practices that we want to embody together as Christ City Church. The first one is choose presence. And this is what choosing presence means. This is what it looks like, simply being open and then being aware of what's happening around you and inside of you. So that's my challenge or encouragement for you as we get started. So first, the first couple of verses of John chapter 1 are magnificent, beautiful verses, part of this poem that the Apostle John is penning. These couple of verses are words that we could spend weeks and months and years even meditating on, and I don't know that we would ever like mine the depths that are here in just these few words. We won't spend months or weeks or years. Don't worry, I promised you a shorter sermon. Um, But just listen Listen to the beauty and the magnificence of these words in these first couple of verses. In the beginning was the word, Jesus. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Come and behold him. There are a couple of qualities about the Lord Christ that I see here that I want to point out. Um, First is that, Christ was there in the beginning. Before there was time, he was. There's an eternality, eternality about Jesus. He has no beginning and he has no end. We have finite minds as humans, and if you try to think or comprehend or wrap your mind around something that's eternal, What will happen is one of my favorite emojis on the iPhone, which is kind of the mind-blown emoji. Do you know the one that I'm talking about? If you're not an iPhone user, I don't know what the Android equivalent is, but, like our finite minds can't comprehend something that's eternal. Everything we can imagine in our finite imaginations has some sort of beginning. But we see here in John chapter one, verse one, that's mirroring Genesis chapter one, verse one, which says in the beginning, God, and we see that Jesus stands outside of time and is eternal. And as I ponder this, as I try to imagine this with my limited mind, like it leads my heart to worship Jesus because he's eternal. The second characteristic about Jesus that's here that naturally follows is that if Jesus is eternal, if Jesus knows no beginning, then he is also divine. He's divine. We're finite, limited beings. As awesome as you may feel or think that you are, you're a finite, limited person, but Jesus is infinite. Jesus is divine. John, in these couple of verses, he's so intentional with the words that he's using and choosing. The word Jesus was God. And in a couple of sentences, if you want another sort of mind-blown reality that you can ponder and that could lead your heart to worship God is that this introduces this concept of Trinity, God as three persons, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The divine has come among us. That's the message of Christmas Jesus, Yahweh, Emmanuel, God with us. God is here, the divine has stepped into, has entered into his creation. What good news that is. And then verse three, we read, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So Jesus is eternal, Jesus is divine, and again, this poem in John chapter one, mirroring the creation poem in Genesis chapter one, John informs us that Jesus is the agency through which all things came into being. Imagine the most beautiful scene in nature that you've ever beheld. Jesus is behind that. The third characteristic here is that Jesus is ultimately creative. Jesus is ultimately creative. He is the creative to which all creatives point. Jesus is ultimately creative. I uh, Sometimes uh, our garbage pickup day, that seems random, right? I'm going somewhere. Uh, our trash pickup day is Thursday, so there's some Wednesday evenings when uh, late at night, I'm sure like many of you, I remember like, oh, tomorrow the, the Garbage folks are coming. I got to get this out on the street. And so late Wednesday night, I'm taking my trash out. And I know we live in a city. And so you can't see too many stars. But sometimes, if it's an especially clear night, like I can't help but notice the stars that are out. And like my heart is led to worship. And I think about this psalm. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm uh, Psalm 19. And here how the first few verses go. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Listen to this. Creation itself communicates without words the creativity of its creator. Creation itself, nature, the beauty of the world around us communicates without words the creativity of its creator. The splendor of creation gives us a glimpse at the splendor of Jesus. The splendor of creation gives us a glimpse at the splendor of Jesus. And then, of course, if all things were created through him, if Jesus is ultimately creative, then that means that he's also ultimately powerful, that Jesus is all-powerful. He's eternal, he's divine, he's creative, and he's all-powerful. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, creates, this is a Latin word for you, a Latin phrase, ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. God creates out of nothing. Imagine yourself, like, again, something that our finite imaginations can't wrap around because if we're gonna create anything, we have to have raw materials to work with, right? Wood or concrete or paint or canvas, Some sort of raw materials to work with, a computer on which you can code and bring an app or something to life. We have to have raw materials to work with, but the Trinity, the divine, creates from nothing. He's all-powerful. More power than we can begin to comprehend. Now, I know, and I'm with you, that in our day, power is looked upon with a lot of distrust, right? And I get it, like I'm with you because we've experienced and we see over and over and over ways that people who are in power abuse their power and use their power in wicked and evil ways to to benefit themselves and to hurt and harm other people. We've experienced that and we see it over and over. So there's this like growing distrust in our bones when we hear talk of authority and power, right? But authority and power in and of itself, like these things aren't inherently bad or wicked. In fact, power used for the good of other people, for the good of humanity and creation is, is a really, really good thing. And that's what we see in Jesus. Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus, he was in the form of God. He's divine, yet he lowered himself. He made himself nothing. He took on the form of a servant He was born in the likeness of humankind. He was born as one of us. And he lowered himself all the way to the point of death. Even death on the cross is humiliating, torturous means of death. Like that's power used for the good of other people. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve others, to give his life as a ransom for many like this sort of power that we see in Jesus is, is ultimately good news, even in the midst of power being abused all around us. This is power as it was meant to be. And then back to verse 14, let me read to you the way that um, Eugene Peterson translates or paraphrases John chapter 1, verse 14 in his, uh, his paraphrase of the Bible called The Message. He writes. The word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. The word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. This eternal and divine and ultimately creative and all-powerful being, Emmanuel, Jesus, Yahweh, he is not distant, he is not aloof, but he has come near. The word, Jesus, became flesh and blood, just like you and me, and he moved into our neighborhood. That's the message of the incarnation. That's the story of Jesus. And that's such good news for you, too, because we know what it's like to walk through life lonely, right? Wondering where God is. Wondering if there's anyone who is in this with us. And those times are, are real and legitimate, and I know what that's like, too. But then I can remember verses like this one. I can remember realities and promises like this, that, that God did not remain distant, but God came near. And God knows what it's like to feel lonely and to wonder, Father, where are you? Jesus is present. He's present to you and with you. He is proximate. He came near. It's good news. And then lastly, this culminates at the end of verse 14 when John writes that we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Beholding all of this, Mary holding her newborn son, and taking note of all of his features, his eyes and the shape of his nose and his ears, and I don't know what little hair he might have had on his head. Mary beholding him is Mary beholding glory, glory. And us beholding Jesus, the newborn King, the Lord, Yahweh, Emmanuel, God with us, is beholding glory. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son, full of grace and truth. Whether you can name it or not, whether you can perfectly identify it or not, this is one thing that our human hearts are craving. Our finite human hearts are craving something that's worthy of our worship. We're craving glory, And we see it in beholding Jesus, the eternal, the divine, the creative, the all-powerful, the near one, beholding glory. And so, to close, um, I just wanna ask, like, what's our response to this? This good news that this sort of God has come near, the incarnation, the message of Christmas, what's our response to this? I think about the story that Jamin read a few nights when we were here worshiping on Christmas Eve together, the story of an angel announcing the birth of Jesus to shepherds working in the field. An ordinary night and ordinary people, and then something extraordinary happening. An angel announces the good news of the birth of Jesus, and then, and then, I love to fill my imagination with this picture, this scene. All of a sudden, like a multitude of angels fill the sky. Like, imagine that. I was, in, I was looking for some art or something that I could show just to help us begin to wrap our minds around this, but I couldn't find anything. If you know a good depiction of this, I want to hear it. Too. I love this scene. I love this scene. Angels filling the sky, a multitude of angels, and singing. Just imagine the singing and how loud it must have been and joyful glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Our response to all of this is to worship Jesus, to worship Jesus, just like those shepherds, just like the multitude of angels filling the sky. One of my favorite books is this little book by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. And he talks about in the book that when we come face-to-face with Jesus, like we, we have to do something. It demands a reaction or a response. Jesus demands that we react or respond in some way. And Jesus, like he, he really is a legitimate, real, historical figure. And so C.S. Lewis says that there are only three categories. There are only three categories for the reality of Jesus. Either Jesus is liar like everything he says is a sham and it's a lie, or either Jesus is a lunatic who maybe really believes the things he's saying are true, but he's just psychotic and out of his mind, or the only other category that's left is that Jesus is Lord, and he really is who he says that he is. Jesus is either liar, lunatic, or Lord. Our response, that's right, our response is, is to behold glory, to come and behold him, and to worship Jesus as Lord. In verses 12 and 13 of this beautiful poem that John writes in John 1, he he says this, to everyone who does receive Jesus, who believes in his name, believes that he's Lord, that he is who he says he is, God gives the right to become children of God, Children who are not born of natural descent nor of human decision nor a husband's will <laughs> but children who are born of God. We get to be a part of in this believing Jesus is Lord. We get to be a part of this, this kingdom of God where God's rule and reign is going forth into all creation. We get to be as children and a part of the good and new thing that Jesus is doing on this earth. So My prayer, just like it was during the Advent season, my prayer for you during this Christmas season is that you would behold him, that you would behold Jesus, and that your heart would be moved and stirred up to worship as you behold the glory that you were created to behold, and that you would be sons and daughters who are invited into and a part of this grand story and mystery of God, the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this good news that Jesus, you, the eternal, divine, all-powerful, creative, glorious one came near. That you're not distant, you're not aloof, but you love us and you pursue us on our best day and on our worst day. That the extraordinary invades the ordinary. And my prayer for all of us in this room is that we would not miss out on Jesus this Christmas, but we would come and behold him the one who was born, the king of angels, and our hearts would be stirred up to adore him. And as we come now to communion, these ordinary elements, bread and wine, I pray that we would find them extraordinary and they would be for us the body and blood of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name, amen.